Cause maybe, oh, maybe, maybe by Emma Bunton is on this chart. The 2000 Chart Show. The 2000 Chart Show. Welcome to the 2000s Chart Show, the podcast where every week we are celebrating the UK Top 40 of 20 years ago. I'm your host, Samuel Spencer, and you have just heard Dance Commander by Electric Six, the first of our 15 new entries, this time 20 years ago. Also coming up, new songs from Sophie Alice Bexter, David Guetta, R.E.M., 50 Cent, Chingy, and of course, as I hinted to at the start of the show, Miss Emma Bunton, with maybe the best solo Spice Girls song there is. Obviously, there's quite a debate about that, but this is the one I am going for. We will talk about Dance Commander by Electric Six in a second, but first, let's set the scene for this week, 20 years ago, in which the biggest news was the end of David Blaine's box stunt. Since September the 5th, he had been suspended 30 feet above the Thames in a plexiglass box. We've talked before about how this brought out the best and worst in Britons who were sending him hamburgers in remote control helicopters, throwing golf balls at him and generally making fun of him. On October the 19th, however, that stunt ended. David Blaine, while being in the box for 44 days, had lost 60 pounds and had symptoms of starvation, including depleted organ and bone mass, heart palpitations, breathing problems and loss of skin pigmentation. And apparently in the last days of the project, he began to taste pear drops, which apparently is what you taste by the ketones produced when the body is forced to begin burning its fat reserves. So there we go. We were all thinking of David Blaine this time 20 years ago. Even George W. Bush got in the action. During a speech at London's Whitehall Palace, he said, the last noted American, or of course he's a Texan, so, well, hey, yeah, uh, the last noted American to visit London stayed in a glass box dangling over the Thames, whoa. A few who might have been happy to provide similar arrangements for me. He said another piece of stellar accent work from the 2000 chart show there. So everyone had to make their comments on the David Blaine box stunt. And so NME asked the Cooper Temple Claws, the British indie band, what their take on it was. Dids from the Cooper Temple Claws said, it just seems really stupid. He didn't get any thinner, so he obviously wasn't doing it properly. He caused a lot of anger as well. And he said that if they tried to get him out of the box, then he wouldn't come to England again, which sounded like an incentive to me. Meanwhile, Kieran from the Cooper Temple Claws said, I could get into a much smaller space than he could for longer and higher up. And I wouldn't do it for press. I'd do it for my own satisfaction and not tell anyone about it. Of course, that wouldn't be the first time that nobody cared about something that the Cooper Temple Claws were doing. But now let's go to our number 40, Dance Commander by Electric Six. Now, you can rescind my gay card if you want, but I do have to say this. If we're talking pop songs featuring the word Commander, I much prefer this to Kelly Rowland. 
that song has never really done anything for me, especially after the absolute mess of her headline performance at Mighty Hoopla this year. Whereas this song is pretty good. Even if that guitar part sounds incredibly similar to Smells Like Teen Spirit, in my opinion. I say, for legal reasons. If you want something less guitar and a bit more dancey, the single of Dance Commander included the Benny Benassi Satisfaction remix, which sounded a bit like this. satisfaction from that no well we'll move on then here's what you need to know about electric six this is their third song and the second to last of their top 40s of course their previous singles had been danger high voltage which got to number two in january 2003 and gay bar which got to number five in june 2003 one of the first songs we talked about on this podcast other things you need to know about Electric Six, they are a Detroit-based rock band who are known for their eccentric band names, and they are quite an eccentric bunch. The current lineup of Electric Six includes Dick Valentine, he's the lead singer, Johnny Nationale, that's Nationale spent N-A dollar sign H-I-N-A-L, then there's Tate Nucleus, question mark, so I guess it's Tate Nucleus. There's Herb S. Flavorings, Dr. J, and Smorgas Board, so that's the current lineup of Electric Six, previous members, and these are all, by the way, real, have included the rock and roll Indian, Serge Jobot, a man simply known as Disco, another man simply known as M, and then The Colonel, Dave, Percussion World, Two-Handed Bob, and Hypercube Bonanza. I will say that some people took it more seriously than others because another two past members of Electric Six were Gary Cook and Jeff Simmons. I'd say that some people took thinking of an eccentric band name more seriously than others. By the way, tag yourself on that list. I am, of course, Hypercube Bonanza. So that is Electric Six at number 40 with Dance Commander. We'll have one more chance to talk about them in the coming months but for now another new entry at 39 starting this chart with a lot of new entries this is stands with i need you no one needs a woman like i need you i have bought something to That's right, it's more of that nasal, nimble singing. So I had a bit of a moment of desperation with this style of singing. We've had it with bandits, we've had it with the choral, and now stands again. So I asked ChatGBT why some people sing so nasally, and it told me one could be down to a lack of proper vocal training. Singing nasally can be a result of insufficient vocal training or not being aware of how to use the vocal apparatus effectively. Two could be mimicking styles. Some singers intentionally adopt a nasal quality in their singing to mimic specific vocal styles, artists, or genres. And number three is regional accents. Accents can influence singing styles, and in some regions, a slightly nasal tone may be part of the local dialect. Not to jump ahead, but I think that might be the reason here. Number four, vocal health issues. Some singers may experience temporary or chronic vocal health issues that affect their resonance. And five, personal preference. In some cases, singers may simply prefer the nasal quality or find it comfortable to sing that way. Well, it's not comfortable to listen to. I mean, I guess I can't criticise them too much because I'm a big fan of the Pet Shop Boys and Neil Tennant, their lead singer, has never met a nostril that he didn't love to sing through. But nevertheless, I can't stand stands, ironically. I mentioned that it, their nasal quality may be down to them being from Liverpool, just like Bandits and the Coral. There is a theory about why the Liverpool accent has a nasal quality. This is from linguist Gerard Knowles, who suggests that the Liverpool accent's nasal quality may have derived from poor public health in the 19th century, 
by which the prevalence of colds among many people over a long time resulted in a nasal accent coming to be regarded as the norm and copied by newer incomers learning the dialect of the local area. Also, apparently, Scousers tend to speak at a higher pitch than most other English speakers, sometimes approaching falsetto. So there you go, there's a little bit of linguistic theory there. We do love to cover all bases here on the podcast, although I'm not a linguist, especially not a cunning one. There's also a similar story about the reason why Spain has a lisp is because they had a king who had a very strong lisp, and so to flatter him, his courtiers started to speak with a lisp, and then it spread to the whole country. So yeah, maybe there was a king of Liverpool who was constantly had a cold and has led to the Scouse accent having a very nasal quality. And of course, stands are part of Liverpool's so-called cosmic Scouse scene, including the bands we just mentioned, the Bandits and the Coral. And in fact, at this point in 2003, stands were supporting Coral on their Autumn UK tour. And so it's interesting that they have released their new singles one week apart. Last week, we talked about the new Coral single, Secret Kiss. That got to number 25, so doing slightly better than Stan. But it's now at number 61 this week, so we won't be talking about it again. But we will be talking about the stands again because they have two more top 40s to come. So there's more nasal singing ahoy. What a joy. Some poetry for you there. If you want to hear more about the stands, by the way, and based on this, I don't know why you would, but we talked about them on the 16th of August when their song When This River Rolls Over You was in the chart. Let's move on to our first returning song in this chart. At number 38, everyone's favourite homophobic screed, Where the Hood At by DMX. Even if we squash the beef, I ain't touching your head. I don't f with chumps. For those that been to jail, that's the cat with the Kool-Aid on his lips and pumps. I don't f with that think they bronze. Only know how to be one way, that's the dog. Moving swiftly on for him and onto another new entry. In fact, of the first five songs on this chart, four of them are new entries. And what a selection. This is at number 37, a new entry, Brighter Than Sunshine by Aqualung. song brighter than sunshine is a potent beauty world weary lyrics draped over central piano strings and guitars central to this song is the lyric love burns brighter than sunshine of course he means it metaphorically maybe but i thought what if he meant it literally because i am nothing if not pedantic and so here's some science for you we've had linguistics and now some hard science So the sun's luminosity is about 3.8 times 10 to the power of 26 watts. And so to compare, a light bulb is on average 60 watts and the sun is 380 septillion watts. That's one with 26 zeros after it. And to put 380 septillion into context, that is significantly more than the number of drops of water in all the bodies of water on the earth apparently there's only 26 septillion of those so if you had about 15 earths all of the drops of water in those worlds that would be how many watts the sun has and so all this to say 
That's a pretty bright love aqualung you have there. A love so bright, in fact, that if you got within 3 million miles of it, you would die of heat stroke. That's according to NASA figures. So yeah, I think the singer of Aqualung might be slightly exaggerating there when he says that his love is brighter than sunshine, unless of course he is now living three miles away from Earth to keep the person that he loves safe. So yeah, take that Aqualung. Murdered by my relentless science. In case you were wondering, by the way, Aqualung is actually one single guy. God, you can imagine if a whole band had loves bright than sunshine. The destruction it would wreck. Aqualung is Matthew Nicholas Hales, born in Southampton, and this is his second and last top 40 single. He's best known for his song Strange and Beautiful, which 90s kids may remember from a Volkswagen Beetle advert from 2002. Watching your world from afar I've been trying to be where you are And I'd love to say that you could see Aqualung today, but unfortunately he doesn't tour anymore because, of course, the brightness of his love uh, led to his body spontaneously combusting, which is very sad. It's a shame, really. And talking of shames, it's a shame that we have to hear this next song. I'll give you a warning before we listen. Warning! You will not get this chorus out of your head for the next 28 years, so listen at your own risk. Now that we have that warning out of the way, here is Chihuahua by DJ Bobo. Chihuahua, yeah, that's cool, alright. In the life without sorrow feels young. When you think about tomorrow, say yo. When you're about to freak out, just go and shout. In case you're up on your Latin pop, this is a cover of the hit single of Latin pop from the same name by Luis Oliveira and his Bandodalua boys. Chihuahua! You're listening to that, you're thinking, oh, DJ Bobo, this is prime one-hit wonder material, but no. If you're in the UK, DJ Bobo is a one-hit wonder, although whether you can call being at number 36 a hit is debatable, but nevertheless, he's only had one hit in the UK top 40. But in Europe, he was a scourge for decades. DJ Bobo is the performing name of Peter René Bauman, a Swiss singer, songwriter, rapper, dancer, music producer who has sold, get ready for this, 14 million records worldwide and has released 12 studio albums between 1992 and 2007 he had 27 hits in switzerland and germany and he won 10 world music awards for being switzerland's best-selling artist that sounds pretty impressive of course but being biggest selling artist from switzerland is a low bar to clear i searched famous swiss musicians on google and there was the only one of those i recognized on the entire list apart from dj bobo was tina turner who became a Swiss citizen in 2013. I bet that was a bad day for DJ Bobo. He was just sitting there being Switzerland's most successful artist of all time, and then suddenly Tina Turner decides to get citizenship. So you're wondering, hmm, a novelty Swiss Europop artist, he must have done Eurovision, right? Well, he tried... Certainly. In 2006, he announced that he had applied to represent Switzerland in the 2007 contest. In that contest, he struck out at Celine Dion, who had won the contest for Switzerland in 1988, despite not being from there. He told reporters, it's a shame, and I don't know how to do a Swiss accent, so we're not going to do it. It's a shame for Swiss taxpayer money from the TV license fees to go to fund a foreign act, and the people should resist this. In December 2006, it was then announced that he had been picked to represent Switzerland. He entered with the song Vampires Are Alive. The end of time, like a nightmare, 
Bookie's favourite to win the contest, but it failed to get past the semi-finals that year when it finished 20th out of the 28 semi-finalists, which is a great shame because I'm sure that DJ Bobo taking on Verka Saduka and Scooch would have been a fight for the ages. Chihuahua, by the way, this song that we're talking about now, is the third of his three number ones in his native Switzerland. Here are the other two. This is Somebody to Dance With Me in 1992. Millions, guys, all right, then you come to an end like I understand that I'm a party man. And let the dream come true in 1994. There we go, that's everything you'll ever need to know about DJ Bobo. But luckily, we never need to talk about him again. We do, however, need to talk about the rest of the 30s on this week's chart. So here's a brief summary of them, seeing as we have a absolute F-ton of songs to talk about this week. At 35, Hey Whatever by Westlife. Thirty-four, Can't Hold Us Down by Christina Aguilera featuring Lil' Kim. Something I just can't understand if a guy have 33 Summer Jam by UD Project 32 Going Under by Evanescence And at 31 in its 11th week on the chart, Pretty Green Eyes by Ultra Beat. You never have to be alone, Pretty Green Eyes. Thank you to Ultra Beat. And at 30, our next new entry, The Beautiful South, with just a few things that I ain't. I've been scrub bag, dead bag, always someone's been bag, I've never been fine, I was thing. However, I dress, never really impressed, so they never gotta hear a damn thing. I've been bad man, sad man, certified man, but never double oh seven or same. Trend set a go getter, international jet set are just a few things that I hate. Trend set a go getter, international jet set are just a few things that I hate. I've been scruff bag, dirt bag, always someone's bin bag but never been Bono or Sting. However I dress, never really impressed, so they never got to hear a damn thing. I've been bad man, sad man, certified mad, but never 007 or saint. Trendsetter, go-getter, international jet-setter are just a few things that I ain't. Are the lyrics of the chorus there from The Beautiful South? Here's just a few things that I ain't. A fan of root vegetables, sporty, good at small talk, and sorry Swifties, a fan of Miss Tay-Tay. Especially when I got to see the real Eras tour, the Celebration tour, 
last week. The reason, by the way, that last week's release was such a mess. And I apologise for that. But anyway, The Beautiful South, best known for their witty, witty lyrics. Can't sing or dance, but I'm so witty. Which sounded sarcastic, but it didn't mean to be. This is from The Beautiful South's first album after their co-lead singer Jackie Abbott left in 2000. Casual fans of The Beautiful South may remember her vocals from songs like Perfect Ten. When he's at my game With a big fat A You wanna see the smile on my face she left the band in 2000 because of the pressure of touring. The band had a busy tour schedule, which she found difficult with her wish to spend more time with her family after her son was diagnosed with autism. The band had found Jackie Abbott in probably the most beautiful South place to find a singer in a St. Helens supermarket. The band's other lead singer, Paul Heaton, had heard her sing at an after show party in St. Helens and remembered her vocal talents. This led to her being called wittily <laughs> by the band, the Lass from the Glass because of apparently a famous glass factory in St. Helens. I guess it is supposed to be last with the glass, not last with the glass. And so Jackie Abbott has left the band, although her and Paul Heaton have since recorded albums together. And the woman's voice you heard on this song earlier was Alison Wheeler, whose nickname in the band was Alison Lady Wheeler, because apparently the band felt that her demeanour and education at Trinity College Cambridge was in contrast to the band's trademark working class northern image. If that wasn't enough witticisms from the witty, witty, beautiful South. Can't sing or dance, but I'm so witty. There is, I mean, this is actually quite a funny joke. When the band announced that they were breaking up in 2007, they released a press release saying that they were breaking up due to musical similarities, as opposed to the usual musical differences. How droll. Though this song has not managed to make it to the top 10, they have managed six top UK top 10s, beginning with Song for Whoever in June 1989. You Keep It All In got to number eight in September 1989. Then in 1990, they had their one and only UK number one single with A Little Time, an absolute classic, in my opinion. And then they had the three songs that I think they are perhaps best known for. In October 96, Rotterdam got to number five. December 96, Don't Marry Her, number eight. And in October 1998, they very nearly got to number one again, but stalled at number two with their song Perfect Ten, a classic wedding anthem. The Beautiful South at number 30 and at number 29, in its sixth week on the chart, down from 17, here is Elvis Presley with Rubberneckin'. Number 28, Scooter versus Arcadi Payne and Rules with Maria Brackett's I Like It Loud. famously like quiet or in fact not on at all and at 27 a song i like very much delta goodrum with innocent eyes that's down from 24 in its fourth week the only thing that you wanted to do was show your mom that you could play the piano 10 years of past and the one thing that will last is that same old song that we played along and made my mama cry and this day 
26, a former UK number one in its 17th total week on the chart, including a few weeks from the original release, Are You Ready for Love by Elton John. This being our first number one is a great chance to look at some of the songs vying to be number one this week. The Black Eyed Peas have had six weeks at the top of the chart with Where Is The Love and so many will be hoping for some fresh blood and the record labels are putting their all into getting that number one spot. So let's look at some of the big contenders. My pick to be number one this week, the song that I would love to make it all the way is Maybe by Emma. I sang it, if you can call that singing, at the beginning of the show. Emma Bunton had had previously one number one with What Took You So Long and now is hoping to get a second one with her second release from her second album, Free Me. The song Free Me itself had got to number five in June 2003, another one of the first songs that we talked about on this chart. But let's be honest, maybe is the pinnacle of her career and maybe the entire Spice Girls solo project. If you didn't do those 60s dance moves from the video in the mirror, are you even a fan of pop? So I'm hoping that she's going to make it all the way to number one. But then there's another song I absolutely love in this chart I'd hope does really well, and that is Mixed Up World by Sophie Ellis-Bexter. She is yet to have a number one single. Her song Murder on the Dance Floor got to number two, but she is now back with her second album, Shoot from the Hip, and this first single sees a newly blonde Sophie Ellis-Bexter. But will blondes have more fun on this chart? Either way, I'm excited to talk about what I think is a hugely underrated pop single. If you like something a little less pop and a bit more rap, 50 Cent is trying to get to number one with PIMP. His follow-up to Interclub, a huge song that wouldn't didn't leave the chart for 20 weeks. 21 Questions did less well, although it was a US number one. But he's yet to have a UK number one, so we'll be hoping that PIMP, his song about being a, you guessed it, PIMP, will go all the way. And if that wasn't enough, and as I said, there are so many new entries this week we also have the sugar babes with hole in the head their first single from their album three the The first single from their first album overload got to number six in september 2000 and the first single from their second album got to number one in may 2002 that was freak like me the first of their two number ones so far they also got to number one with round round in august 2002 and so they'll be hoping to match that with hole in the head an absolute classic one of their best songs but will the british record buying public agree so they are the major contenders also likely to make the top 10 are rem they're back with a another great song in my opinion bad day so they're the big names fighting it out this week to be number one but we cannot discount a little someone and i mean little as a pun haha because we also have kevin little with his song turn me on turn me on turn me I'm sure anyone who was alive at this time remembers hearing this song everywhere. And so will Kevin Little go the way of Wayne Wonder and Lumidy and have a huge hit that does better than many much bigger stars do? Well, we will find out as the chart goes on. But for now, we are at number 25 in its fifth week, down from 23, Someday by Nickelback. Someday, someday, gonna make it all right, but 
as a final word on why everyone hates Nickelback, I asked my friend ChatGBT, why do so many people hate Nickelback? And it's interesting, usually if you ask ChatGBT a negative question, it will couch in a lot of terms like, well, some people think this, but some people actually think that they're quite good. The same applies here. This ends. It's important to note that despite the criticism and widespread dislike, Nickelback also has a substantial fan base and sold millions of records worldwide. None of this, however, stops ChatGPT being absolutely savage to Nickelback. So they said, here's some of the reasons why they hate them. Number one, perceived lack of originality. Some accuse the band of producing formulaic, generic rock songs that sound similar to one another. Two, overexposure. Nickelback achieved massive commercial success with hit songs like How You Remind Me and Photograph. This led to a sense of overexposure that can make the band, any band, polarising. Three, stereotypes and memes. Nickelback has become a popular target for jokes and memes on the internet. Number four, Chad Kroger, the band's lead singer, has a distinctive raspberry singer voice that some find grating. Five, Critics reviews, negative reviews from music critics can influence public opinion. And six, peer pressure and groupthink. In some cases, people may dislike Nickelback because they want to conform to the opinions of their peers or popular culture. Wow. AI coming for humanity as a whole there. That's definitely not going to have any negative repercussions in the future. And so on to number 24, down from 12 in its second week. Hopefully some of you have learned to love this song since we mentioned it in last week's chart. Need to continue that campaign to get it onto Spotify. Here is Good Boys by Blondie. a double bill of totally underrated songs that I love because at number 23 in its third week down from 15 here is Amy Stutt with Under the Thumb. into two bands that are often cited together. I think they even might have toured together at some point, you know, just like the Bandit Stand and Coral are kind of a unit. Here we have two bands basically identical at 22, 1251 by The Strokes, that's down from 7, and at 21, Say Cheese, Smile Please by The Fast Food Rockers, that was at 10 last week. us into the top 20. 
20s Texas and Carnival Girl. Last week, we mentioned that Charlene Spiteri gained increased fame for starting a fight with Paris Hilton. Here is what she said about it on the Graham Norton show in 2008. And now I hear a story that, uh, and I hope it's true, that you, you met uh, Paris Hilton. Is this right? Um... I was at a party in London um, with a bunch of my, my mates. There was a crowd of girls out on a girls' night out. And uh, we were all sitting around a table and it was like a booth, like a bunkette thing. And um, Paris Hilton's had arrived at this party with a massive entourage and two bodyguards. And, you know, you're a bit like, well, there's not really anybody here that's going to, like, do anything. And um, she proceeded to pull the chair out that all my mates' jackets and handbags were on and started dancing on top of them. So we were kind of going, like, everyone's going, Oi, get off, go off. Listen, she didn't pay any attention. And, and I was like, get off, in my broad Scottish accent. And she still didn't pay attention, so I got my straw and put it in my drink and went... <laughs> <laughs> One thing I have to say about Graham Norton, obviously one of the best chat show hosts we've ever had, but once you notice this thing, it becomes incredibly annoying that he'll kind of start a story with, isn't there this thing about you doing this thing? And it's like, yeah, we know that you're just like getting researchers' information like fed into your ear. You could make it a little less obvious that that's the case. You could flow more naturally from anecdote to anecdote. But of course, Graham Norton remains a national treasure. And who am I to criticise media personalities who rely on a series of ticks and tricks? Talking, that's actually a perfect unintentional segue to someone who relies on a small batch of tips and tricks and yet is incredibly successful. Here is making his first appearance on the UK Top 40, David Guetta, new at 19, with Just a Little More Love. Just a little more love, just a little more peace. David Guetta, of course, is going to go on to have 28 UK top 40s. Yes, really that many. And seven number ones. That makes him the joint 17th artist with the most number ones in the UK. Other artists who've had seven number ones, Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, Jess Glynn, Tiny Temper, crazy. I did not know he had seven number ones. Robbie Williams, McFly, U2, Kylie Minogue, Michael Jackson and George Michael. So in quite impressive company there. By the way, if any of you out there, can you name all of David Guetta's seven number ones? If you know all seven, by the way, I'm not sure if you need our praise or our sympathy. That's a heavy burden to have in your head. Even I had to look up some of these. So these are the seven number ones of David Guetta. He first got to number one in 2009, which means we have six more years of David Guetta songs before he gets to number one. Lord help us. His first number one was When Love Takes Over, his collaboration with Kelly Rowland. That was in June 2009. And then in August of that year, he had his second number one with David Guetta featuring Akon, Sexy Chick. Then we head into the 2010s, two number ones in 2010, again in June and and August respectively. David Guetta featuring Chris Willis, Getting Over You. By the way, this song this week, Just A Little More Love, is also a duet with Chris Willis. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a sec. Then his second number one of 2010 was Flowrider featuring David Guetta's Club Can't Handle Me. And then maybe his defining song in February 2012, Titanium with Sia. Then in 
August 2014, a song I have literally never heard of. And in 2014, it was my last year of uni, so I wasn't really paying attention to the pop charts. I was mostly paying attention to having rampant sex and doing a dissertation. Not always in that order. But this is that was Lovers on the Sun with Sam Martin. And then his last number one at time of recording. God knows the way the charts there are. He can get another one. He got to number one in September 2022 with his version of Blue Dabba D. I'm good, brackets blue. David Guetta featuring BB Rexha. Truly a list that gives me traumatic flashbacks to my early clubbing experiences before I had any gay friends. Especially in London, that can be hard. You know, you go to Tiger Tiger for freshers. I think there's Tiger Tigers in other parts of the country. I try to be relatable, not London-centric. I've, however, lived in London for 12 years, so that is tricky. You might even hear, like, when love takes over, club can't handle me, titanium and getting over you just in a row. It certainly felt like that. I guess in between those would be, yeah, times three, and that will give me everything tonight. Oh, and a few Pitbull songs. Basically, all of this is to say, this is why there will never be the 2010s chart show, because I truly believe that while the 2000s may be one of the best times for pop music, the 2010s are hands down the worst decade for pop music. A terrible, terrible time. And David Guetta definitely has to be blamed for part of this. He is, although clearly he's popular because he has had 14 billion streams of his music. And throughout the 2010s, we'll work with Black Eyed Peas, Nicki Minaj, Little Mix, Khalees, Usher, Akon, Rihanna, Justin Bieber, just to name a few. But for now, in 2003, his main collaborator is Chris Willis the American gospel singer who David Guetta met while Willis was holidaying in France. So they are a team, although at this point in his career, exactly who is producing the music that is released under David Guetta has been the source of some speculation. Some have claimed that Guetta at this point was simply the puppet of the French DJ and the co-owner of his record label, Joachim Garrow. This all stems from an interview Garrow gave in 2007 in which he said David is not a musician he is not a technician so he comes over with ideas samples textures sounds etc and I am behind the machines but then he says but for the past two years so 2005 2007 David has progressed whereas before he met me he had no computer now we are nine years later and the situation has changed David learned so fast he practices every day with his laptop since 1999 and now he's doing his own stuff by himself but at this point exactly who was behind the David Guetta sound is not quite clear whoever it was however people have often called him out for causing the death of pop music which I would maybe criticize him of leading that charge was the band Foles who told Digital Spy that David Guetta is basically, it's not even something that really makes my blood boil because it's just bullshit. It is an abomination, but there needs to be bad music around. You need Jilly Cooper novels and pulpy, trashy culture. Obviously, I would never advocate for trashy, pulpy culture, which is why Take Your Shoes Off by the Cheeky Girls will definitely not be ranking incredibly high in my best of 2003 list at the end of the year. So yeah, with David Guetta here, we are seeing the evolution of another huge force in pop music, although it's going to take six years to develop. So if we are still doing this podcast in six years, we will see the fruits that began here to bear fruit. That's not that phrase. That's not how that goes, is it? Never mind. Another former number one now at number 18 in its 12th week on the chart, making it the longest running song on this week's chart. Blue Cantrell featuring Sean Paul with Breathe. Last week, Sean Paul had three songs on the UK Top 40. That has unfortunately dropped down to two this week because Like Glue has dropped to number 45. 
but still completely running the table on 2003. Talk about another force that's being unleashed now that's going to have a huge impact on the future of this chart. But at number 17, we have a new entry who, let's just say, is not going to have quite the same impact. At 17, this is Chingy with Right There. Right. And it's very important I pronounced it like that, as you'll find out why in a sec. If rap's your thing, this guy is bling, said Smash Hits in their introduction to Chingy. He's really called Howard Bailey, and he at this time was 23 and from St. Louis. Apparently he got his name Chingy from the slang word his gang used for money. He supported Nelly on his US tour in 2002, leading Ludacris to sign him to his record label. Before finding fame, he apparently used to dress up as Michael Jackson and dance in the street to earn money by busking, presumably not near any schools. Apparently he, this is according to Smash It still, he once started a fashion trend at school by wearing football shin pads on his arms. And apparently he won't go on tour without hot tea, cough drops and extra long t-shirts. Kind of a silly figure, I think, Chingy. But he definitely has one skill which we hear in the remix version of Right There by Chingy. Is that he really has a talent for making words that don't rhyme, rhyme. So this is the first verse in the remix version. It starts with pretty normal rhymes, just said in an odd way. So, girl, why you dat right there? She's so bad, I'm constantly getting calls from the mayor. As in the mayor, that's there and mayor. Why the mayor would be calling him to rein in this woman, I don't know, but we'll go with it. Then next line is, I thought of a rabbit the way she bouncing further cur. I don't know what that means. So I can't tell you whether it rhymes with there. So in the next line, her man defending her like a lawyer, so beware. Again, beware there makes sense. So dudes be handcuffing, but dirty, that ain't fair. Fair there. And this is where it gets. Tenuous. So we might remember the word that we're rhyming with is there, and then he says, I wanna bet she got that bomb like a terrorist. When I say it, their terrorists don't rhyme, but the way that Chingy says it, they somehow rhyme. And then she wit it, I'll hit it though, but I ain't thinking about marriage. She wit it, I'll hit it though, I ain't thinking about marriage. Which he, again, manages to make rhyme with their truly, for any 30 Rock fans out there, giving rural juror vibes. Oh, this isn't for TGS, it's for my movie. The rural juror has a limited release next week. Oh, congratulations, I didn't know they had a release date for the rural, for that movie. In Smash Hits though, DJ Foxy, their guest reviewer, gave it four foxy heads out of five and said, interesting, if you just hear it, it sounds like Eminem in his humour and his style, which it absolutely doesn't, by the way. I quite like that. Yeah, he sounds good. Whereas Smash It says, yay, yay, and thrice yay, we love Chingy. He's the hottest new rapper to hit the charts. And not only does he have the lyrical flows, but he's a bit of a cutie too. Bonus. This is the first of his five top 40 singles, by the way, although he will never get into the top 10, but we will have plenty of times to talk about Chingy and his incredible grasp of the rhyming dictionary in future episodes. But for now, at number 16, in its seventh week on the chart, down from 11, so sticking around, Baby Boy by Big Brothers. I feel your whole aura, and I can't wait to hook up again tomorrow, baby. Whoa. My love for you. 
15, another new entry, Craig David, World Filled With Love. This song came out. This song, the guest reviewer for Smash Hits was Brian Dowling, the winner of Big Brother in 2001, who at this point had just finished being the presenter of SMTV Live. But Brian Dowling says of Well Filled With Love by Craig David. And of course, he is Irish. So I think Craig's songs all sound the same. He has a fantastic voice, but I've never got on the whole Craig David thing. The song is okay. I'd listen to it if I was getting ready for bed. Savage. And Smash Hit says, Craig loves to be mushy, but bring the beat back, boy. A controversial single cover. Well Filled With Love, by the way. This is a personal pet peeve of uh, my husband, who every time... In an American film, someone is seen still wearing their shoes in bed. You think now you've now I've said that, by the way, you'll see that in loads of TV shows and films why no one ever takes their shoes off when they sit on their bed. But he is crouched up in a big leather armchair with shoes still on. So you're going to have to wipe down that leather, Craig. But we don't want to stick the knife into Craig David too much because that this would have been a sad day for him 20 years ago because it was the first of his singles to miss the UK top 10. It's, of course, here at number 15. That brings to the end a run of 10 consecutive top 10 hits, if we count his two collaborations with Artful Dodger. Those 10 songs, by the way, were Re-Rewind, The Crowd Say Bo Selector, number two, December 1999. His first number one, April 2000, Fill Me In. His second Artful Dodger collaboration, Women Trouble, got to number six in July 2000. Then another number one for seven days, August 2000. Then back in December at number three with Walking Away, March 2001, Rendezvous got to number eight. November 2002, What's Your Flavour, got to number eight as well. February 2003, Hidden Agenda got to number 10. And then two songs that we have already talked about on this podcast. In May 2003, Rise and Fall, Craig David featuring Sting. And in August 2003, his song Spanish got to number 8. He will not have another top 10 hit until August 2005, when All The Way gets to number 3. So a bad time for Craig David. I think he was being mocked quite a lot. Of course, Bo Selector, every interview would ask him about it. And he'd have to be like, oh, I find it really funny. And it's only years later where he said that he found the whole thing like he was being bullied. But in general, he seems like in a weird place at the moment because he's kind of stuck between being like a cool urban artist and a kind of middle of the road balladeer it's kind of the bedding field dilemma i think we call it that you have a few songs that are kind of cool and in with a kind of zeitgeisty dance scene but then the ballads do better but every ballad makes you lose more and more street cred so it's like what do you do with this song it seems that craig david is going too much into the balladeer area if doing a duet with sting didn't really suggest that because the second track on the CD single version of Well Filled With Love is his cover of the perennial tearjerker Candle In The Wind by Elton John. And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind, yeah. You wouldn't think of the artist who did Rewind the Crowd Say Bo Selector doing a cover of Candle In The Wind, but it kind of says a lot about where he is here. So Craig David not doing that well in the charts, but this is the launch of a huge force in pop music for the next 20 years not Craig David but the co-writer of this song was a man called Fraser T. Smith who was Craig David's guitarist at the time he'd had a lot of reasons to quit music had Fraser T. Smith when he released this song he told the magazine The Manifesto I remember playing Top of the Pops with Craig David in 2000 and everyone was texting me saying that they had seen me on TV after the show I remember going back to my studio 
I was starving because I hadn't eaten all day. I went to buy a sandwich with my cash card and it was declined. And I had to make that long walk back from the counter to the refrigerator and put the sandwich back. It was humiliating and I was hungry. Even when he started getting some success as a musician, he didn't seem to be making any more money, which is another one of these themes that we've talked about in the show, that actually, unless you're the most really famous, that actually the music industry is a terrible place to work. In Christmas 2008, he'd been chasing a invoice for some work he'd done for a label for months without getting any result. And the article says, aside from not being able to buy presents for their daughter, he went to an ATM and it said the pair were scrubbing around their drawers looking for pennies to buy milk, that they would eventually get half of what was owed to them on Christmas Eve. So all of that may have made a weaker person quit music, but Fraser Smith kept persevering and then it maybe paid off a little bit because he was involved in two kind of small albums in the early 2010s. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're called 21 by Adele and In the Lonely Hour by Sam Smith. Two of the biggest albums of all time that he produced both of. He also was responsible for writing songs like Break Your Heart, Ty Cruz, Broken Strings by James Morrison and Number One by N-Dubs. Three more examples in my argument about why the 2010s are the worst decade for music. He also weirdly is a very in-demand grime producer because he produced both Dave's Psychodrama and Stormzy's Gang Signs and Prayer which was the first UK grime album to get to number one. Weirdly, and this is before he worked with Craig David, he was also a guitarist for two kind of dance classics that you didn't really, you may not have thought had any guitars. He worked on Touch Me by Rua De Silva and It Just Won't Do by Tim Deluxe, a song that I personally love. So yeah, I guess that's a message to all of us to stick it in there, even if it's not working out and you're having to scrounge for money that eventually your creative endeavours will come through if you have a 21 in you. I, however, have a number 14 in me. That sounds disgusting. I mean, a number 14 in this week's chart, which is Sundown by S Club 8. gay Aaron from S Club 8 was interviewed in Smash Hits this week in which he said his top five girls are Beyonce, Britney, Christina Milian and Mary-Kate and Ashley. Very heterosexual choices. They ask him, how many girls have you properly snogged? A weird question to ask a teenager, but kind of par for the course in the 2000s. He said, probably about 10. That's quite a high number, isn't it? I think being on telly impresses the girls, but then you wonder if they only like you because you're famous. I mean, maybe I'm just reading into it, but that that's quite a high number, isn't it? Suggests that it may be a lie. Talking about gay acts, by the way, and Escobar, iconically a gay act because two of the members of it have since come out. Here is at number 13, Erasure with Ola Moore. song originally reached number 85 back in 1986 at the start of Erasure's career and this is a remixed version from their greatest hits collection celebrating 20 years as a band and this is one of their 35 UK top 40s including the they have had one number one single with their EP ABBA-esque their selection of ABBA covers 
which went to number one in June 1992. Erasure is a band I've had a kind of interesting history with. Uh, basically, I think it's a history that I would blame on internalised homophobia. That basically, when you're worried about people finding out that you're gay, you kind of have to remove yourself from anything that is perceived as gay. And so, as a teenager, I kind of had an irrational hatred for both Erasure and the Pet Shop Boys. And I've only kind of, in later years, had to embrace them both as kind of actually making the kind of music that I love but I couldn't possibly be seen listening to any kind of like out gay music it's the same reason I didn't really listen to any George Michael until much later in my life which is crazy it's such a waste because this song couldn't be any more me coded if it tried and it's crazy because I love all the other work of the non-singing member of Erasure Vince Clark because he before joining Erasure, previously worked with Depeche Mode and Yazoo. So basically when, if you think about the sound of the 80s and you hear that kind of very strong synthesizer sound, that basically was invented by Vince Clark, the musician in Erasure. And Quietus called the song Ola More a song of effete hormonal cravings. And I can't think of anything that sounds more like me than effete hormonal cravings. And so I apologise for Erasure for denying the fact that I liked you. This is a great song. The original's maybe even better. Let's embrace all of the gay acts. And not to jump ahead, but there is another act that should be embraced as a gay act a little bit later on. But for now, for me, not quite a gay icon. You can't be that much the queen of Radio 2 and be a gay icon. I guess actually you can if you're Rylan. But at number 12, in its seventh week, down from six, here is White Flag by Dido. Return to where we were But I will go down with this shit And I won't put my hands up and surrender There will be no white flag above my door I'm in love and always will be Dido at 12 there. That song reached a peak of number two and Let's go into the top 10 with three more songs in a row, all of which are the former number twos that were kept from the top spot by Where Is The Love by Black Eyed Peas. First of those, Sean Paul's second appearance on the chart at number 11, Baby Boy. That was last week's number two. At number 10, down from four, Sweet Dreams My LAX by Rachel Stevens. That's in its fifth week. And its fourth week at number nine, another former number two, I Believe in a Thing Called Love by The Darkness. You told me that you love me looking in my eyes. You keep it real with me. I keep it real with you. You keep on loving me. I keep on loving you. Keep doing what you do. I feel your whole aura. And I can't wait to hook up again tomorrow, baby. leads us into the top eight in fact a top eight with six new entries so big fight at the top as we described later still to come songs from kevin little sugar babes emma 50 cent sophie ellis bexter and at number eight our first new entry in the top 10 this is bad day by rem please don't take a picture 
I have a very weird, specific memory about the song Bad Day by R.E.M. 90s noughties kids may remember the iconic quiz show 50-50, in which two classes from schools would fight it out over a series of obstacle and quiz-based games. And one of the rounds was all of the school people from those schools would watch a music video, and then they would have to answer questions recalling facts from that music video, like what colour was the guy's shirt, etc, etc. By the way, if anyone knows anyone who was on 50-50, they're an icon and I want to hear all about it at the 2000s chart show at gmail.com what was it like to be on 5050 especially what was it like to be on 5050 when they played to a bunch of kids who were probably what between 9 and 11 the song bad day by REM which marketing meeting was it where it's like we really need to push the song bad day by REM to children by having the music video play on 5050 exactly the wrong audience for an REM song although saying that The reason that I love this song is because I heard it all the time in my car when my mum was driving me to various places. It was released as a single from the R.E.M. Greatest Hits collection, In Time, which is a Spencer family car classic. I have to say, if you haven't listened to Losing My Religion on a wet Wednesday on the way to Lidl on the A4174 Ring Road around Bristol, then frankly, you haven't lived. So I loved it as a child, and presumably, hopefully, those children 50-50 became REM fans for life after they remembered that the guy was wearing a blue shirt or whatever. The song Bad Day was inspired by a day when the lead singer of REM, Michael Stipe, opened his door and found a camcorder lens in his face. I think that might have inspired the line from the chorus, it's been a bad day, please don't take my picture. The song, however, although released in 2003, existed as far back as 1985, when it was written as a response to the policies of the then Republican president, Ronald Reagan. But in 2003, they decided to revive it because they felt the song still had a contemporary resonance due to the policies of George W. Bush. We won't mention a certain conflict that he was involved in for once, but in the liner notes for the album, Peter Buck, a member of R.E.M., said, we we wrote the song in 1986, We finished writing it in 2003. The sad thing is, between those years, nothing much has changed. By the way, R.E.M. are the iconic LGBTQ plus band that we talked about earlier in the show because Michael Stipe, the lead singer, came out as queer in 1994. And so they are a regular feature on my Pride playlist. I try to include as many LGBTQ plus artists on them as possible. And I love being at a party and causing confusion among pop gays when the playlist goes from like Born This Way to Lady Gaga to everybody hurts. Michael Stipe said to The Guardian about his coming out process, I was never closeted, that's the thing that's beautiful about it and I'm so proud of. You can never find a single picture of me pretending to have a girlfriend or being somebody that I'm not. I was never that guy, any long-standing REM fan who had not figured out I was queer before that point wasn't looking very hard. REM, they will have in total 11 UK top 10 hits and 31 UK top 40s. Their peak in the chart, by the way, came in February 2000 when their song The Great Beyond from the film Man in the Moon got to number three, but they will have one more top 10 hit before breaking up in 2010, 11, I think. So keep an eye for that. But for now, at number seven, another new entry and an absolute banger, in my opinion. Here is Mixed Up World by Sophie Ellis Bexter. Oh, 
special effects of it this time 20 years ago was the subject of the smash hits you can run but you can't hide quiz the iconic segment in which is an excuse for smash hits to ask pop stars really rude questions essentially we have all hopefully remember when Kim Marsh was asked, why were you such a moody cow in hearsay? A truly iconic question from an earlier episode of this podcast. But Sophia Inspector comes out incredibly well from this. I think she seems like a laugh. So she's asked, you're quite posh. Do you eat swans? And she says, no, but I have swans bathe me. Maybe I should eat one. I like to think people to think I'm posh, but apart from the name and a fondness for oysters, I don't know why people think that but I'm willing to continue the myth. Of course, Sophie Ellis Bexter's mother was Janet Ellis, the Blue Peter presenter, and one of these smash hits readers asked, your mum was a Blue Peter presenter, did your friends get excited when she turned up at the school gates? And Sophie says, in fact, the kids used to hate me because of it. There was an against Sophie club formed by some of the kids when I was about five years old. And then she gives the shocking admission, I did sell Blue Peter badges in the playground, they were 50p, and one pound if you wanted one with an autograph. It kept me in penny sweets for a couple of years. I think there should honestly be a public inquiry about that. If there was all that media furore about the Blue Peter phoning quiz where the votes weren't counted and the cat was called Socks when it should have been called Firkin or whatever, there should have definitely been an inquiry about Sophie Phyllis Baxter selling Blue Peter badges at her school. Someone asked her, what's the most effective way to murder someone on the dance floor? And she says, doing some kind of high kick thing with your sharp shoes. She admits to killing a guinea pig. I've been playing with him all afternoon and then put it back in the pen. Later when I went to get it and heard a thud. When I looked down, I saw I'd shut it in the door of the hutch and crushed it to death. Wow, don't mess with Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Around the same time, she gave an interview with The Independent magazine, in which she said, people see my name and the way I dress, and their immediate thought is probably posh bin. And to an excuse, I can see what they mean. If I wasn't me, I'm not sure what I'd think of me. Maybe I'd be a little suspicious. Honestly, anyone who uses the word bin in a sentence gets a pass from me. I'm becoming a huge fan of Sophie Ellis-Bexter from reading all of this. Dr. Fox was also a huge fan, gave her four foxy heads out of five, and said, I like Sophie, but she used to be in a band that wrote songs. When you hear her records, they are songs, not just production pieces. This will get great airplay, and I really like it. I really like her. Smash It says, do blondes have more fun? Sophie's new hairdo and song make us think so. And yet this song doesn't have the reputation it deserves. I was once watching, I don't know, MTV Hits or The Box or one of those music channels that I constantly was watching in the 2000s. And this song was charted very high on their list of the 40 most underwhelming comebacks. To which I would say, firstly, why would you make that programme? Who's going to watch a series of songs that are, by the very admission of the title of the segment, underwhelming? And secondly, it's rude and wrong because this is a great song and a great comeback. It also has a surprising co-writer. It was co-written with Greg Alexander, the lead singer of the band The New Radicals, best known for their song You Only Get What You Give. He actually was quite a prolific songwriter of naughty's British bangers because he was also behind Murder on the Dance Floor, another Sophie Ellis Bexer song, Texas's Inner Smile, and Ronan Keating's Life is a Roller Coaster. So really setting the pop charts ablaze in the UK throughout the 2000s. But this new sound is not the only thing that is different with Sophie Lespector this time. She's gone blonde. And honestly, I can see why she never went for that hair colour again because she's very pale and with the blonde, it really does give albino in a way that she probably didn't intend. But I don't want to comment too much on her looks because apparently this was a running joke at the time. Apparently, Robbie Williams once compared her face to a satellite dish and at the Brit Awards last year, host Frank Skinner asked her, why the wide face? Classic bit of Frank Skinner there. In 2000s, I use classic loosely. She said of this, I never felt special. A lot of my girlfriends are be- much better looking than me. When I was young, I was very insecure and happy about my bone structure. I thought about surgery. These days I'm very comfortable. I think it's good to look a little different. Apparently this looking different led to her getting the school nickname Rumbus Face, which is mean but quite funny. People were not nice to Sophie Lispector in school. Apparently, though, the Independent says her 
face is a lot less rhomboid than it appears in pictures. She said of her new blonde haircut, I think the wind changed. It's not a statement, I just got bored. I was a brunette for years, I will go back to it. I like it best, but I thought, let's change. Last year I was a redhead. She says she's enjoying the new look and attention it gets, but she admits it's a pain in the arse always having to do the route. She also had to deny claims that she'd dyed her hair blonde in a attempt to get a new look after breaking up with her boyfriend and manager Andy Boyd they split just before this album came out after six years together which meant that they had been together since she was 18 which is fine except he at in 2003 was 35 which means he was 29 when she was 18 and they got first got together which quite frankly to use the youth parlance ick I can't think of anything worse than dating an 18 year old but so we won't get into what he was thinking there but he certainly went from the frying pan into the fire after leaving Sophie Ellis Bexter because then he became the manager for Pete Doherty. So he's probably suffered enough. So number six now, and what a double bill of my absolute favourite songs because we had Mixed Up World and now we have. She hasn't managed to match the number five placement of her last song, Free Me, but she has reached her pop pinnacle with at number six, Maybe by Emma Bunton. Me, Emma Bunton was interviewed by Peter Robinson, the iconic creator of the Pop Justice website, the much missed Pop Justice website. In this interview, she says, When we were in the Spice Girls, I was always the one being Joe Bloggs going, Hang on, has this got a tune? Can you whistle to it? To which Peter Robinson replied, Presumably, you found you were saying that rather a lot during the final Spice sessions. Again, what I would give to bring back this tone where journalists can actually be cheeky with artists without the PR shutting them down. It notes in the in the interview that she laughs at this, nods, and then says no. So we maybe know what she thinks about the final Spice Girls album. He also managed to get a little bit of fun out of Emma Bunton. He asks, what do you think is at the bottom of Justin from the Darkness's flame tattoo? A barbecue? Question mark. And she says, a big log. They, I love when an artist gets a little bit looser with Enemy that they could be with Top of the Pops or Smash Hits. This is after she said that she thought the Darkness were the best band of the moment. She had previously been with Virgin Records, and but for the Free Me album, she was now with 19, the record label run by the former Spice Girls manager Simon Fuller, also the guy behind S Club 7. Apparently she was given full creative control over what she was doing, which she's doing a lot better with full creative control than a lot of artists that we've seen on this chart who we've talked about who get full creative control and then make the worst possible decisions. She's releasing, I think, what I think is probably her best album. In fact, there's almost no doubt it's her best album. She says of this, People do go off on tangents, but I'll go to family and friends like my little nephew. If he doesn't dance to something, I'll be like, shit, that's crap. Put the next one on. Apparently when Emma Bunton's mum first heard the demo of Maybe... She said, hmm, it sounds a bit like a musical, which was the point, although it did lead to apparently Emma making it a little bit sexier. Peter Robinson also asked her, where did she keep her gold disc? She says, I've got a couple in my kitchen, but most of them are in my mum's basement. I go down there every morning again and just go, wow, like a twat. This interview is great. Again, bring back this style of journalism. Brian Dowling loved Maybe. He gave it four Brian Dowling heads out of five and said, oh, this is good. I like Emma so much and this is very easy to listen to. It's the type of feel-good song you'd sing to yourself in the mirror when you're getting ready to go out. I bet the dance remixes will be great too. And Smash It says, So 60s it sounds like it could be the theme to an Austin Powers movie. Excellent stuff. So I think Emma Bunton gave a good interview with Peter Robinson, but Simon Amstel listed her as one of his 10 most boring interviews of all time in Enemy. 
He said, she's quite obvious. In fact, I can't even think of anything interesting to say about her being boring. There was one time she was interesting. Oh, hang on, that was Lionel Richie. Quite a weak joke when you're calling out other people for being uninteresting, but whatever. So apart from signing to a new record label in 2003, Emma Bunton was a girl on the town. She broke up with her boyfriend Jade from the band Damage for a bit. Well, I think they're now together again. Yeah, they got married in 2021, so clearly they got back together. But she had her play of the British pop field in the meantime. Top of the Pops said of it. This is the magazine, not their show. As one of Britain's cutest women, Emma has her pick of famous men. She called it a day with boyfriend Jade last year, but they're often spotted together. Simon Blue, a model Callum Best, helped her get over the split. Then, of course, there was her lustin for Justin. That's Justin Timberlake. I fell for his ass, she said, after snogging him when he toured England. So good for Emma Bunton who has three more UK Top 40 hits ahead of her, including a number three single. So keep listening for more of her. But for now, at number five, here is 50 Cent featuring Snoop Dogg and Lloyd Banks and Young Buck with PIMP. I don't know what you heard about me. Put a bitch can't get a dollar out of me. No Cadillac, no perms, you can't see. Then I'm a motherfucking P.I.M.P. I don't know what you heard about me. But a bitch can't get a dollar out of me. No Cadillac, no perms, you can't see. And me this week, 50 Cent was subject to Heckle of the Week. Apparently, when he played at Manchester MEN Arena on October the 8th, there was a heckle that simply said, keep on being shit, which kind of sums up where 50 Cent was at this point. Basically, his life was chaos. So he was, in 2003, sued for $12 million for what Top of the Pops called a tussle with a photographer. He would eventually pay out an unspecified amount in 2008 to the photographer Jim Alcorn who fired a lawsuit claiming that he was assaulted after taking a photo of the star as he left the jewellery shop, leaving Alcon, who worked for New York Post, to sustain neck and jaw injuries. Alcon's lawyer told Page Six, a settlement was reached and all parties are satisfied, and the spokesperson for 50 Cent said it's a legal issue that's been settled. If that wasn't enough, according to Smash Hits, on a recent visit to the UK, 50 Cent had to spend almost four hours being questioned by immigration at Heathrow Airport, Rumour is 50 was involved in a gun battle at home and is wanted by US cops for questioning. Now, I must point out there isn't much information about this online, mostly because he's been involved in so much crazy shit that you just can't find any specific thing on Google. So I searched 50 Cent questioned Heathrow Airport 2003 and it came up with this different story, which actually just has nothing to do with Heathrow, so not sure what Google's doing here, but another time that he was questioned by police. This was in September 2004. Apparently he was questioned by police after a fan accused the star of throwing a microphone in his face. In the Interclub Hunk, this is from the Irish Independent, I think, allegedly knocked Tom Wilshire unconscious by furiously hurling the microphone into the audience who were booing and throwing plastic bottles at the New York musician and his G-Unit crew at Britain's Reading Festival. Wilshire insists he was one of the few fans cheering 50 Cent who ended his performance prematurely because of the crowd's offensive behaviour. Wilshire complains his parting gift to the crowd was to hurl his microphone into the audience. It hit me and my legs went from under me. So, But it wasn't all bad for 50 Cent in 2003. He apparently, according to Smash Hits, saved $8 million by haggling to buy Mike Tyson's house, which he bought for $4.1 million. It was a 50,000 square foot home with 21 bedrooms. 25 bathrooms, an indoor pool, hot tub, green screen room, 
indoor court, multiple game rooms, a recording studio, and even a nightclub. Pretty impressive, but none of this was enough for 50 Cent to make a profit on the on the building. He says he paid 4.1 million for it, but could only sell it for $3 million. But it probably didn't matter for him because at this point, he apparently, when he bought the house, he had just come out of his first tour and he had he says 38 million dollars in his bank account after coming on from that tour really does highlight the difference between like uk and us success you get so many uk stars who years later find that they don't have any money left at all after having a few hits whereas 50 cent had 38 million dollars from doing a us tour it's just a whole different level of success you can have there that is not accessible to say triple a but that comes with a lot of fees apparently his 21 bedroom house cost $700,000 a year to upkeep. and But in a weird coincidence, he bought Mike Tyson's house and the guy who shot him, 50 Cent, was a man called Daryl Baum, or Baum, who apparently was Mike Tyson's personal bodyguard. So it's kind of weird how these coincidences work. He apparently was shot and killed a month later by fatal bullet wounds in the back of his head. So that's what 50 Cent was up to. But the general read on PIMP was that it was not as strong as in the club, although I think it's a improvement on 21 Questions. Foxy gave it three foxy heads out of five and said Interclub was really catchy. 21 Questions was good, but not as good. And this ain't as good as 21 Questions. I disagree. I do like 50 Cent though. I think he's good and I can imagine the video is good too. In general, I think he is a superstar rapper. Smash it said, sorry Foxy, we'll have to disagree because this is ace. And so that brings us into the top five of this week's chart. We have two new songs still in the running and two returning songs. Those two new songs are Turn Me On by Kevin Little and Hole in the Head by Sugar Babes. There's also Superstar by Jamelia in its fifth week, and trying to get a seventh week at number one, Where Is The Love by Black Eyed Peas. Which one of those is at number four? It is Superstar by Jamelia, down from three in its fifth week. song had been rising in the last few weeks started at eight and then went to six six and reached a peak of number three last week but it hasn't been able to maintain that and now it's going to take its slow fall out of the charts although we have still plenty more weeks of jamelia before that song leaves and so that leaves us with two new entries and last week's number one where is the love by black ops will it make it to a seventh week at number one no because it is at number three which means that for the first time since september we have a new Number one on our hands. on by kevin little is at number two which means that the sugar Babes have got their third uk number one with hole in the head but let's talk about kevin little a little bit first
Dowling, not a fan, gave him two Dowling heads out of five and said, God, give me something I could dance to. All this reggae stuff is really in at the moment, isn't it? I'm not really feeling this at all. He's got such an annoying voice. Where Smash It says, this will be bigger than Ant McPartlin's forehead. Bit rude. We like. And it surely will. The song is destined to spend seven weeks in the top 10, 10 weeks in the top 20, and 16 weeks in the top 40. This isn't even the last time that it will be at number two. So a huge song of the moment for Kevin Little. He is a Vincentian artist, which means he is from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. He had been working odd jobs as a customs officer and a radio disc jockey when he poured his savings into recording this song, which then paid off big time. The song would get to number one in Denmark, of all places, and would be a top five hit in Austria, Belgium, Germany, the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, and a number four hit in the US would be Turn Two Times Platinum in Britain, Turn Platinum in Australia, and Gold in America. In fact, it was such a big hit that it will end the year as the 14th biggest selling song in between Inter Club, another song that didn't get to number one, but just would not leave the charts, and at number 15, Crazy in Love by Beyonce featuring Jay-Z, so doing better than Beyonce. Although, shall we say that his career doesn't quite live up to that of Beyonce. He would have one more UK Top 40 hit with Last Drop in 2004 and then it would never be seen in the charts ever again. But for now, Kevin Little is at number two behind this week's number one, 961st UK number one, Hole in the Head by Sugar Babes. That is selling 58,500 copies to get to number one. And this was clearly the result of A, a good song and B, a strong marketing push because the girls were everywhere at this point. Here's a sample story from Smash Hits. The Sugar Babes have asked for skimpy knickers be provided at every venue they play on their next tour. One red pair, one white pair and one blue pair. Management haven't sussed who wears what yet. So if you see the Sugar Babes on their many live dates, please ask them who's were what. Brian Dowling gave this three and a half Dowling heads. Pity to the poor person who had to cut Brian Dowling's head in half for that last one. He said, I love them and I hate them. I don't think they're the friendliest band and I feel sorry for Heidi. I get the impression they think they're all that when they're not. But their music is really good. I like this. It's cool and catchy. Smash it says it's cracking like round round but better. The babes are back so don't mess. Heidi of course, the reason why he might have felt sorry for her is that it felt that she was never really a full part of the band. Which is why, by the way, all of you guys out there being like, uh, oh, Maze isn't as good without Heidi. No, Heidi was always felt like a separate part. There's a reason why in the song she just like gets her own like mid late and isn't really part of the main song. It's because she had a very different vibe. They were cool London girlies and she was a former member of course, of Atomic Kitten. She was in the band before they were famous. In fact, the around the same time, Atomic Kitten were asked, what was Heidi from Sugar Babes like when she was in Atomic Kitten? And Liz says, this is from about four years ago when we were called Automatic Kitten, terrible name, and the group was just me, Kerry and Heidi. She was lovely back then. She left because she was the youngest and it was loads of hard work. We will talk more about the Sugar Babes next week, but for now, we have come to the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening as ever. Recommend it to all the pop maniacs in your life. Follow us on Twitter, why it still exists, at 2000s Chart Show. Follow us at Instagram, at the 2000s Chart Show. Email us at the 2000s Chart Show at gmail.com. But for now, our new number one here is Hole in the Head by Sugar Babes.
I'm so witty, 